My name is Elaine Miller. Would you please stand? The word is coming from Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, last fall, uh, Ashley and I had some friends purchase an old home, like a really old home, right? Like born at the turn of the, not this century, but like last century old home. And they actually had a really unique loan. They were able to buy it at this really low purchase price. And then most of the money within the loan actually was earmarked to immediately put into the home to start fixing it up. And these friends, they hired contractors to do a lot of the work, but there was several areas in which they tried to save some money by doing the work uh, on their own and by asking friends to help out. And, And let me tell you, it was not hard for me to say yes when they asked me to help on demo day, right? This is, and this was a smart move on their part. Uh, they should not ask me to try to fix their home, but if you need to break stuff, like, I'm there, right? This is, this is more up my speed. In fact, I was a little bummed. I didn't think, I wanted to get these shirts for us. Uh, I didn't, wouldn't that have been awesome if I had rolled up with all these shirts and ready to go? I didn't quite get that done. But this was a blast, right? Like, glasses on, sledgehammer up, walls down. It's a great workout. It's great for stress relief. I'm just telling you, there's an entire business that has sprung up around this. You can go axe throwing or you can go to places and just destroy things with sledgehammers. Did you know about this? So, demo day, like for real. And you're helping friends. So, if you need a friend to help with demo, day in your home. Don't ask me to fix something, but if you need something broken, I'm there, right? Uh, It was a blast. It was a blast. But actually, a few years before that, so that was just last fall, but a few years before that, Ashley and I, we had a a different friend 
not the same people, but a different friend who undertook a different kind of demolition, a different kind of demolition. And this individual, this friend of ours, experienced a deep and really unexpected and hard relational wounding, and it led them to this place of deep confusion and anger and frustration and questioning. Uh, Often, I would sit with this person, and they would just ask, God, how could you? God, how could you? And it wasn't the demo day, but over the course of time, slowly but surely, what ended up happening was they demolished their faith. They demolished their faith. Or another way that we could say it is that they deconstructed their faith in God. Now, I bet, I bet too, I'm not the only one who can tell a story like this, right? I mean, you've noticed it with me, I'm sure, the, the sharp increase in the amount of people who are talking about deconstructing their faith. I mean, maybe you have a friend on that journey, like Ashley and I did, or maybe it's a family member, a brother, a sister, a son, a daughter, an aunt, an uncle that you're thinking of right now, or maybe you're sitting here right now and you're like, I'm walking that journey. That's me. I've said that. I've said I'm deconstructing my faith. Now, wherever you find yourself in the midst of this conversation, I don't think there's any way to deny that deconstruction related to faith has become a bit of a buzzword. It's a bit of a trending topic, if you will. And so here's where I want to start with a quote from pastor and author John Mark Comer to help guide us. Let's start here. The first thing that must be said about deconstruction is that there is a good type of deconstruction. And there is a need for it. Indeed, every generation has a need for it. This good type of deconstruction is what you see in Jesus himself as he made a radical critique of the religious leaders of his day and the way human traditions had corrupted biblical truth. Now, I want to start here Because I think maybe in the room, and I feel this a little bit, there could be a little bit of a temptation to eye roll all of this deconstruction talk. Oh my goodness, let's just, come on, really? Like, what are we doing here? And to be sure, I do believe that there is a bad, harmful type of deconstruction. One that doesn't critique corrupt religious leaders and faulty dogma, but instead critiques Holy Scripture and its authority over our lives. You've seen that, haven't you? Where deconstructing my faith is a code word for, I just sort of want to live however I want to live. I want to be my own boss. You've, you've noticed that type of deconstruction with me, right? That's bad deconstruction. That's not what Comer is talking about. That's not what I think we observe in the deconstruction of Jesus. And here's another thing about bad deconstruction too. It, it typically is only ever an end in and of itself, it's, it's like we've deconstructed and we're done and seen, right? It's, it's demo day without reno day, right? It's demolition without the beautiful remodel that comes later. In that same resource, John Mark Comer goes on to share how healthy good recon- deconstruction is actually part of a normal and needed life maturation cycle. I've got it on the slide here. Where we first construct, then we deconstruct, then we reconstruct. And, and that, it's that last stage, right? It's that last phase that I think so often bad deconstruction that we see today is missing. 
there's deconstruction without that third phase of reconstruction. And again, if we don't do that, if we don't move to stage three, then all we are is broken, demolished homes. That's it. And what's true, this is what I've noticed, what's true is that there are guides available, guides available that can help guide us on this journey. I mean, you wouldn't try to DIY your home without the help of YouTube, would you? (laughs) You wouldn't. I have, it goes very poorly, right? I can't, I don't, I gotta like have an an experience guide. YouTube's not enough for me. I have to pay a guide to come and actually do it. Like this is what I need in my home reconstruction. Some of you are good enough. All you need is YouTube, but you probably wouldn't do it without that, right? So why are we, why are we deconstructing and reconstructing our faith without the help of guides? Why are we doing this? We shouldn't, we shouldn't. And I can honestly say that I can think of no better guide than the Apostle Paul. This is the famous Rembrandt painting of the Apostle Paul. I love this painting. This guy went through that threefold maturation process, didn't he? Constructing, wrongly, but constructing his faith and worldview in the way of the Pharisees, and then in a radical way, deconstructing it on the way to Damascus, the road to Damascus, and finally reconstructing his faith in the true way of Jesus. And I believe the Apostle Paul to be a guide worth listening to in the middle of this broader cultural conversation that we're having. And that's a good thing because God preserved his holy scripture, and because of that, we know a lot of what this guy said. And he wrote it thousands of years ago, and he didn't do it in Google Drive, so it was easy to share. So I am so grateful that of the 27 New Testament books, 13 of them, right, 13 of them are written by this guy. So we, it's like, man, he walked this deconstruction, reconstruction journey. Let's just open the New Testament and see what he has to say about it. 13 of the new, of the 27, including a letter to the church in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. There it is. Ephesians. And there we will be, starting today and then for the next 14 weeks. We're going to journey together through this masterful book, and we're going to see how I believe it can help us reconstruct our faith. We need a guide, and we have one. We need a guide, and we have one. Now, in this cultural moment, meaning in the moment of when the book of Ephesians was written, so this is not today, this is round about 2,000 years ago in about 60 AD. In that cultural moment, the city of Ephesus was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire, located in what is now modern-day Turkey. And during the course of his missionary journeys, Paul had spent uh, a fruitful two years in the city, maybe even a little more, and he was very close to a ton of people in this church who would have received this letter. So then one of the curiosities about this letter is you read it and you're like, I don't really get that vibe. It's, it's, it, you don't actually really, you read it and you're like, did Paul know the people he was writing to? And so what that has led to is some people saying, well, actually, Paul didn't write this letter. It wasn't him. It was someone claiming to be him because he was kind of a big deal. So there all, there's all these false letters, right? But it wasn't him because he spent this time there and the letter seems like he doesn't know them. There's a better explanation, because we think Paul really did write this letter. The better explanation is that Ephesians was likely a circular letter. So again, Ephesus is this major hub of a city. 
And so the, the letter lands there first, but then the way of Jesus is that it doesn't just stay where it starts, right? And so it starts in Ephesus, and this is now some years later, the way of Jesus has spread to all these smaller surrounding communities and municipalities. So the letter, the letter of Ephesians, it lands in Ephesus, but it's, it cycles, it circles. It goes to places where those people didn't know Paul which explains why he wrote the letter in the way that he did. Now, Ephesians is also one of Paul's least occasional letters, meaning we, we don't know, because it's like one half of the phone conversation, right, in a lot of these letters. It's like we're, we're seeing Paul's end. We don't always know what the other half of the phone conversation is, and Ephesians is actually the least occasional of his letters. It's, we kind of raise our hand and go, wait, what's the purpose of this writing? What's the occasion for this writing? It's very different than 1 Corinthians. Over and over again, that church, man, whew, that church was a problem. And he's saying to them, now concerning the matters you wrote, because you wrote me about a lot, right, because there's a lot going on for y'all in Corinth, it's very different than that. But I think we can start to stitch some of it together because I believe the main theme of the letter of Ephesians is this, the mysterious, beautiful reality and possibility of our unity in Christ. That's what I think Ephesians is really about. There's a lot of stuff going on. But the unifying thread, the theme, I believe, is the possibility, the radical possibility and the beauty of our unity in Christ. Okay, so if that's the theme, then what might the occasion be? I, I think you could maybe say that the occasion for the writing of this letter to the church in Ephesus was there were some struggles with disorder, division, and disunity. Disorder, division, and disunity. I think Facebook just changed their tagline for that. Facebook, disorder, division, and disunity. Like, you know what I'm, you get what I'm saying, right? Our, our cultural moment, we have a PhD in this topic. Disorder, division, and disunity have been a problem since Genesis chapter 3, but we're majoring in it. We went to college and we were like, I would like to select disorder, uh, I'll minor in disunity, and we'll throw a few, I'll be close to a second minor. In you know what I mean? Like we are majoring in these topics. This is our moment. We love to fight with each other. Behind a, behind a keyboard. <laughs> Don't you think we need Ephesians? I think we do. I think we do. I mean, just look at kind of the thesis statement of Ephesians, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 10. And this is God's mysterious plan. At the right time, he will unite everything, everything, everyone and everything, under what? Under the authority of Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One. At the right time, He will unite everything under the authority of Christ. Everything, in case you missed it the first time. Everything in heaven and on earth, it's all coming under the authority of Christ. That's the unity theme, right? Now, don't miss the highlighted word plan. Plan. This has been God's plan. This is God's plan. You know, I know, I know that quite often this world feels like there's nobody in charge. Most days you wake up and you go, does anybody have a plan that's going to work? Most days that is what the world feels like. That's how we experience the world. And I know because I experience it with you. 
And even though that's our experience, even though it feels that way, it's, it's not actually that way. I don't want to minimize our feelings about it. I don't want to minimize our experience. But here is what is actually true. Here is the centering reality of the universe. God has a better plan. Some days it doesn't seem like it. This is true. God has a better plan. Now let's break it down a little bit, okay? God has a better plan. First, it it starts with him. It starts with him. Did you notice as Elaine read for us how quickly God gets into the picture in this letter? Again, who wrote it? The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But the human that sat down to write it is Paul. But look at how quickly he shifts off of himself and introduces God. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus, not the church I planted, God's holy people, right, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. A lot of highlights on the screen right now, right? Like Paul wrote this letter, but he doesn't want you to forget who he's writing it about. That's what's going on here. He's not the main character in his letter. The main character is God. And and in these verses, we see so clearly two-thirds of the Trinity, God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. But we don't even get to the end of our passage, verse 13, if you jump down in your Bibles. We'll get there later. But Paul, in this passage, introduces God, the Holy Spirit. So in one passage, at the very beginning, opening of his letter, you've got the entire triune Godhead on display. And Paul's like, yes, I'm, I'm writing down the words, but let me, as quickly as I can, get out of the way and remind you that God's better plan starts with him. It starts with him. Okay, so that's the intro, right? I mean, like, this is like the first couple of verses. The actual passage, really, this is like the opening salvo in the letter, verses 3 through 14. Let's take a look at those. Okay, so look at Ephesians 1, 3, 1 verse 3. Let's look at that. It says this, all praise to God. All praise to God. Now, you may have noticed I had our scripture reader, Elaine, she used the New Living Translation this morning. I did that because I think it, it sort of slightly better captures what Paul was going for, particularly in these 11 verses or in these 12 verses, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And the reason I think it better captures it, right, is that you have to know this. In the original language, this little phrase here kicks off a run-on sentence that is 202 words long. 202 words later, Paul's like, and now I'm done. And that seems like really, it's like, man, what is kind of lazy? Did he forget how to use a period? Actually, Paul's one of the most brilliant writers that's ever walked the face of the earth. Just like full stop, that's true. He doesn't make mistakes like that. And actually, this was a common literary poetic... Str- he wrote a poem. He wrote a poem. A beautiful, a beautiful poem that extols the greatness and grandeur of our God. All praise to God. And, and the other thing we have to keep in mind too, right, is that this letter was written to be, to be read out loud first before it was written to be read sort of just like in your bedroom alone because that didn't really happen. There were so many people in the first century that did not have the privilege of reading. That's first. And second, they didn't have Google Drive. I've already said that. So they're sitting down. The parchment and ink, these are valuable resources. There are not copious copies of this letter just floating around. So picture it with me, right? The church in Ephesus 
News has spread quickly. We got a letter. It's from Paul. Right? It's spread quickly. So they gather. They're in someone's home, and they've got a scripture reader, someone who's probably trained in these matters, right? And the reader takes one one long breath in. (gasps) All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Right? That's the 202 words is about how much you can get with one long breath. That's the idea. That's what's happening here. And it starts with what? A call to praise God. And how does it end? Okay, so this is verse 3 and verse 14. So this is the poem in Ephesians 1. All praise to God, and then, and then it ends this. God did this. That's verse 14. And this in that verse is he gave us the Holy Spirit as a deposit of our inheritance. More on that in a second. Why? So that we would praise and glorify him. Do you see it? That's good poetry. It bookends. It's called an inclusio. That's good poetry in our day. And that's what's happening here. But you sort of miss the view of that. This is a long, one long, run-on, beautiful sentence about how great God is and how because of how great God is, we should tell God how great he is. That's what's happening in these verses. God's better plan starts with him. Oh, in verse 14, it ends with him too, doesn't it? God's better plan starts with him and it ends with him. And here, that's good news. It's good news. Think about your own life. I'll think about my life, right? What happens when my plans start and end with me? They fail. Too many times in my life, the plans that have started with me and ended with me have actually ended up in abject failure. God's better plan is that it starts with him and ends with him. So let me just ask, right? Do you start with God or with yourself? Do you start with God or with yourself? The reality, again, the reality is that God has a better plan and that it starts with him. Do you receive that reality and weave that into your life or do you reject that reality and just sort of spin up a bunch of plans that have you at the beginning and you at the end and are guaranteed to fail? Do you start with God or do you start with yourself? Second, God has a better plan It began way before you think. So first is that it starts with him. God's better plan starts with him. But it began way before you think. And this one is quick, but I I couldn't. It's just one verse in this passage. I just couldn't. This is too, this blows me away. Verse four, okay? Even before he made the world, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Do you see it? Even before he made the world. That's more than a day or two ago, right? And we're not going to get into when it was. <laughs> I think that's a fool's errand. But it's more, it wasn't yesterday. And it wasn't the day before that either. Before the foundations of the world, this was God's plan. It's like, are you kidding me? I had six plans that failed yesterday. Since the beginning of time, since before time, since before the foundation of the world, you know how many plans God has had? One. I don't need another one. I got one plan. And it started way, way, way before we think. Even before he made the world. 
God put his plan into motion. Okay. God's better plan starts with him. It started way before you think, and it includes us. Let's camp here for a moment. God's better plan includes us. This point is all over this passage, so we're going to jump around a little bit. The idea that God's better plan includes us, but I want to start back at the beginning of the poem. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has what? Who has blessed us. Why should we bless him? Because he has blessed us. Why should we bless him? Because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Paul calls us to bless God, to praise God, because he has blessed us. Sometimes when we really focus on the starting, the ending, the centrality of God to his plan, do you ever feel like, man, he's just kind of, like God's a little selfish, right? Like God's sort of all about his glory, right? Do you ever feel that way? Never forget that, yes, God is at the start of his plan, he's at the end of his plan, but where do we move next? Hey, you're blessed too, God's plan, God's better plan includes you. And it's not just, it's not, it's not like a little blessing. Right? It's not like, it's not coal in the stocking. Well, I got a gift. I got a blessing. He has blessed us with what? Every spiritual blessing. Church, do not miss how generous our God is. How much he desires to lavish upon you, pour out upon you, no one, and I mean this, no one is richer than our God. And yet no one is more generous than our God. And those two things don't often go together. Typically, the more rich we get, what happens? More grubby, right? We're we're grabbing on, our grip tightens, not God. Nobody is more rich than God, and nobody is more generous than God. He has given you, he has given me every, every spiritual blessing. Here's just what's in this passage. Because of God's generosity towards us in Christ Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins. We have freedom. We have unity with Christ, union with Christ. And we have the Holy Spirit who is himself, Paul says here, reminds us that the Holy Spirit is a deposit of our coming inheritance. Okay, inheritance. We have an inheritance. It's one of the spiritual blessings we have. Church, who gets an inheritance? Sons and daughters. Who gets an inheritance? Who's in the will? Sons and daughters. And so one of the center points of this passage, of this poem, one of the center points, one of the, I think one of the central every spiritual blessing realities is that you and I are adopted into the family. That's where I want to park for a moment. We are adopted into the family. Look back with me at verse 5, and church, let the beauty of these words just wash over you this morning. God decided in advance to adopt us into not just any family, his own family, by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. He wasn't rolling his eyes when he did this. It gave him great pleasure to adopt you and I into his family. Amen. 
Now, in the English Standard Version, that's what we normally use, the translation of this verse, the phrase decided in advance, decided in advance, it's actually in the ESV, it's the word predestined. You might see that if you've got the ESV with you. Predestined. Now, depending on who you are, that word predestined, that either makes you happy, angry, or confused. Like, wait, why should I be happy or angry? (laughs) Right? Like, what's going on with that word? So here's what I want to say about predestination this morning. Buckle up. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. That's actually not what I want to do at all, right? First, no matter whether you're happy, angry, or confused, you're welcome here. You are welcome in this place, in this church. We create space. We're a church that creates space for a variety of viewpoints within this important conversation. Okay, that's first. Second, you're welcome here. Second, I'd love to get coffee and talk with you about this. I mean, you have to buy coffee, but... (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I'll buy the coffee too, right? But like, I really would. Like, if you genuinely want to talk more about this, let's grab, let's grab coffee and do that, okay? Third, I was really helped this week when I was studying by scholar Lynn Kohick. She writes this about this passage. She's writing about this passage, Ephesians 1. She's an incredible Ephesians scholar. And she writes this about this broader conversation. She says, I enjoy Paul's agility. That's the Apostle Paul, not me. I enjoy Paul's agility. I have zero agility. <laughs> In any, in any sphere of life, never once have somebody been like, Paul Brandis, that guy's agile. <laughs> never happened. I enjoyed the Apostle Paul's agility to move between absolute conviction and God's unstoppable, what, plan, God's got a better plan, determined by his will and pleasure alone, and yet humankind's accountability based on choice to be responsible for their actions as they relate to God's plan of salvation. It is a posture worth emulating, for it promotes humility. We need a little more humility today, don't we? Gosh, it promotes humility as believers search the deep truth of God. Amen. Okay, back to adoption. Enough about that. Let me, seriously, enough about that. Okay, because this is it. I want to ask you, when's the last time you really slowed down to reflect upon the reality of your adoption as a son or a daughter? When's the last time you really slowed down to reflect on the magnitude about that? And what I want to do to help us is to remind us of the position that we occupied before we were sons and daughters. What, What were we before then? Paul talks about it later in this letter at the beginning of chapter 2. Church, we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. We were following the course of this world. Paul even says that we were beholden to the ways of the devil. We were beholden to the ways of the devil, who is the commander of the powers of the unseen world. That's who we were hanging out with. In other words, at that time, we were not God's children, we were his enemies. At that time, We were not God's children. We were his enemies. This is how I like to say it. We weren't sitting in the living room. We were on the battlefield. We weren't sitting in the living room. We were on the battlefield. Like, you understand what I mean by that, right? Like, an adopted child. An adopted child sits in the calm, quiet, relaxed living room with her loving father, her loving mother, safe and content, just being in their presence. That's the posture and placement of an 
adopted child, that was not us when we were dead in our sins. Is, it tr- is that true of an enemy? No. An enemy is not in the living room. An enemy is outside on the battlefield. An enemy is drawing arms and waging war. And church, don't miss this. Don't miss this. It was while we were here. It was while we were enemies at that moment that God chose to send Jesus to create for us a pathway from the battlefield into the living room. Do you see that? We are on the battlefield, you and I. We are throwing haymakers. It's our choice to be there. Our choice to be there on the battlefield, throwing haymakers against God. And yet he looks at us in that moment and he says, I love you. I want you in my family. It would give me great pleasure to adopt you, oh my enemy. Great pleasure to adopt you. And so I will send my one and only beloved son, Jesus, your your true older brother, he's coming to get you. To bring you from the battlefield to the living room. This is adoption. And it gave him great pleasure to do so. This is what is contained in the phrase, every spiritual blessing. Friends, God has a better plan. It includes us. It includes us. It brings us into the family. Finally, as we close, one more, just briefly. God's better plan starts with him. It began way before you think. It includes us into the family. And finally, it centers in Christ Jesus. It centers in Christ Jesus. The title of today's sermon is In Him. In Him. And that's pulled right out of the scripture passage. Every single title of every single sermon in the series is going to be pulled from a phrase within the passage. And in Him is all over these verses. Just let's, one more time, we're going to walk back through, and now I'm pulling from the ESV, because the ESV is really helpful for this. Verse 1, in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, in Christ. Verse 4, in Him. Verse 5, through Christ Jesus. Verse 6, in the capital B, beloved. That's Jesus. Verse 7, in Him. Verse 9, in Christ and in Him. Verse 11, in Him. Verse 13, in Him. I'm not making those up. This week, open your Bibles, get out a pen, start circling. You might need a second pen. Like over and over and over and over and over again, Paul is reminding us that God's plan, yes, it starts with him. Yes, it began way before you think. Yes, it includes us. But who's at the center of it? Jesus. Jesus is at the center of God's plan. Jesus is at the center of God's plan. Always has been, is right now, and will be. Always has been is right now, and will be. God's better plan centers in Christ Jesus. So the only question that remains is, are you praising God or are you praising someone or something else? Because that's a response, right? That's what Paul is calling us to. All praise to God. That's verse 3, right? And verse 14 again, right? It ends with, hey, you should praise and glorify God. (laughs) This is... The call to action. 
God's got a better plan. It starts with him. It began way before you think. It includes you as a son or a daughter, and it centers on Jesus. So are you praising that God, or are you praising and glorifying something else with your heart and with your life? Because church, the question is not, am I praising or am I not praising? The question is, what or who am I praising? We're all making that choice every single day with our hearts and lives. So are you praising Are you praising God or are you praising someone or something else? God has a better plan. It starts with him. It began way before you think. It includes you as a son or as a daughter. And it centers on Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, all praise and all glory and all honor to you. Because you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And it gave you great pleasure to do so. Thank you for our pathway into sonship and into daughtership. Thank you for our pathway to adoption. Thank you for our true older brother, Jesus. Thank you for loving us even when we were enemies on the battlefield. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We praise you, we praise you, we praise you. And we'll continue to praise you in song, Lord, and we pray that that song, these songs, will be a a pleasing offering to you our beloved and beautiful Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.